Uh, me back again. So we have our reading this morning, which comes from John chapter 9, and we're reading verses 1 to 12. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we we just come before you this lovely Sunday morning. So thankful that we can come to your church and worship you, Lord. We just uh, pray as a church, Lord, as we get back to uh, semi-normality, that you will keep blessing your church, Lord, and keep allowing us to come each week and worship you. We just pray uh, for, t- for tonight, Lord, uh, a lovely opportunity to come and reflect on those little lives that we have lost. We may not comprehend why that has to happen, Lord, but we know that it is in your will and for your glory, and, and we, we just uh, look forward to being able to come and remember them tonight, Lord. I just pray as well today, Lord, uh, at his World uh, Mental Health Day, Lord. We pray for those in our community and in our church, Lord, that are struggling at this time. We pray that you will be near to them and uh, show them, Lord, that they don't need to worry, Lord, that they don't, they aren't lonely. They have you, Lord. They have you with them every second of every day. We just pray for those who are also uh, feeling ill, Lord, uh, especially in our church, Lord, that you will heal them, that you will be near to them and you'll comfort them. And I would just pray for John as he comes to speak to us, Lord, and uh, for anyone in here this morning who maybe has not received their sight from you, Lord, that they will do very soon and you'll be near. All this in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Gareth. Morning, everyone. Morning. Morning. As you'll know now, we're back in our series in John, the Gospel of John. Uh, It's been a wee while since we've been here. Uh, Can't really remember, must have been 
before the summer almost. Uh, but we're back in John for a wee while. Uh, so today, John 9, I want to give you a bit of an introduction again just to catch us up on where we were before we left off. Uh, it is the autumn of the year. You'll remember, uh, very apt for, for us, uh, the time is the Feast of Tabernacles. That's where we left off in John. Jesus has been teaching in the temple in the early morning when he was faced with a test. And that test was the woman who was caught in adultery and she was brought before him. And you'll remember the story there. He forgave her, sent her on her way. Jesus is in the temple. Jesus is talking about who he is. Questions are coming about who he is. The Pharisees are posing questions. Sadducees are posing questions. Everyone is asking questions about who Jesus is. And the big thing that Jesus talked about over and over again about who he is was that this, and this would eventually get him killed, is that he is God. He himself is God. And the response to that was that some believed, some argued, and some didn't believe. And in John 8, the, the, the chapter, and this is significant, the chapter ends like this. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them. That's significant. You'll see why that's significant in a moment. So we have this scene set for us that Jesus was in the temple teaching. He says things, he does things that the Pharisees don't like, the religious leaders of the day, and so they are set to kill him, literally set to kill him. They're about to stone him. They pick up the stones to do the job, and he leaves the temple. And then we're told what happens in the next passage. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind. That's the, pro that's, that's the process we're in here. Jesus is being just about to be stoned to death. He leaves the temple, uh, fleeing the temple, and he sees this man who was blind from birth. So we, we take from that that this story takes place right after the previous one, just outside the temple. And his disciples at this point, can you just try and imagine the scene? They are fleeing for their lives. And the disciples come up with this question. I do not know what's in their heads. But they ask this question. Seeing him, they say, Rabbi, Jesus, as they run out of the temple, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? really strange thing to ask when you are on the way out of the temple fleeing for your life. They see this blind man begging and they say, who sinned? Whose fault is it? Whose fault is that? Is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? Right. We're going to have to introduce, we're going to have to do this. I don't like doing it, but we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to introduce a big fancy word at this point, which sums up the problem that we're facing. And it's this, theodicy. Theodicy. Now remember that if you're a note taker, take that one down. Theodicy. And what theodicy simply means is this. It is giving an answer to the problem of evil or sin in the world. Theodicy. It is giving an answer to the problem of evil. And here's the problem. If God is good, 
why is there evil in the world? If God is good, why is there blindness in the world? If God is good, why do people suffer? And that is essentially the question that these disciples are posing to Jesus as they run out of the temple, fleeing for their lives. And as you'll have picked up from the disciples' question, at the time in particular, there was a thought around that it's someone's fault. There needs to be someone blamed for the blindness, for the suffering of this man. Someone is to blame. Has he sinned? Is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? Someone is to blame, so we must pin that on someone. And the disciples are getting into really dangerous territory when they start to do that. Blame. If we're honest, a lot of the problems in the world and a lot of our problems are sometimes self-inflicted. Let's just, be, let's just be honest about that. We need to say that. Some of the problems that you have, some of the problems that I have, are a result of our own sin. Do you agree? Sin has consequences. And so some of the problems that we have are of our own doing. Let's just be honest. The world is in the state that it's in because some of what we do. Think of some diseases that are around today because of people's sin. That's just a reality. If you do certain things, you will reap the rewards of that. But it is also true that not everything and not every sin and not every disease can be blamed on specific individuals' sin. God does not punish every sin, especially not in this life. Think of what Psalm 103 says. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, not punished us according to our iniquities. And if we're going to blame someone, or if the disciples had been thinking straight at the time, and if we're going to blame certain people, there's two people that we need to blame. Who would those two people be? Adam and Eve. Our first father and mother. They were the ones that brought sin into the world. And it is through them that sin has carried on. But when you get into specific blaming of a certain thing for a certain, a certain person for a certain sin, then you're in dangerous, dangerous ground. It's what the Nazis did in World War II, blaming the world's problems on the Jews. Essentially, that's what they did. The Nazis blamed everything that was going wrong in the world with the Jews. It was wrong. So what about the problem of suffering? What about the problem of why, if, if God is good, then why is there suffering in the world? And this is really, actually, this is God's providence that tonight is happening, and today we're looking at this. It's not planned in any way. We're not that intelligent. But what does it mean? How do we sum up the two things? And this is not a get-out. It's just real. This is what Warren Wearsby says. Only God knows why babies are born with disabilities. 
And only God knows how to turn those disabilities into something that will bring good to people and glory to His name. That's the reality. Only God knows. There's a country song that I've been listening to lately. Not specifically. I now go on to Amazon. This is where I am, right? Let's cards on the table. This is where I am. I now, when I go down to the shed at the bottom of the garden to do whatever I do, I put on Amazon, Amazon Music and I go to Country Station, all right? Modern Country. Don't look at me like that, Roberta. It's not fair. You're shaming me in public. That's what I do. And there's a country song that says, I can't remember the song, David, you'll be able to tell me, no doubt. Uh, but it, is, it says something like, don't ask Jesus why those things belong to the by and by. David, do you know the song, no? Ah, oh, it's not. It's a new one. It's not. It's a new one. I go to modern country, all right? I don't go to like, I go to modern country on the Amazon. So, but that's the reality. So many of us all the time, we ask why, 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 why are these things happening? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why is something else happening? Why is there suffering in the world? Why am I like this? Why? why? The reality is, there is no explanation. And often we will not see that explanation until we're in glory. But God knows. God knows. And just a wee side note. Don't do as the disciples did. Don't do as the disciples did. When you look at someone and you see them suffering, do not say, who is it that sinned? Them or their parents? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Here's the disciples' problem. The disciples' problem was this. They are more curious about the theological question of suffering than they are with caring for the man that has been put right in front of them. They are more concerned with the theological question of suffering than they are with the man that has been placed at their feet. Let's think of the context here, folks. Let me read those final verses of chapter 8 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They're about to stone these guys. They're chasing them. And what does Jesus do? He stops. Literally, Jesus stops. He's about to be killed, and Jesus stops and looks at this man and sees his condition and is filled with compassion for him. What would you do? What would I do, given the situation? You're fleeing your life, fleeing for your life, and, and, and someone is placed in front of you with a deep, deep need. What would you do? I know what I would do. I would run and never look back. But not Jesus. But not Jesus. It's actually amazing what he does. Folks, sometimes we can be way too like the disciples. 
we can be way more concerned about arguing over theological issues and having all our ducks in a row rather than dealing with people with compassionate hearts that have been placed right in front of our eyes. Paul Tripp asks an interesting question. This is it. Has your personal study of the Word of God informed and enlarged your brain without convicting and transforming your heart? He says this, you may never exegete an entire book of the Bible. God does call us to be diligent studiers of the Word. But here's the danger. Because of remaining sin and self-righteousness, our study of the Scripture could leave us with big theological brains and untouched and diseased hearts. Folks, that is a real danger we face. Like, it's okay, it's good, it's right and proper that we study the Word of God. It is right and proper that we come to, to church gatherings and we learn and we hear from the Word of God. But if we go out of this place, even if we go to this place today, hearing the Word of God, hearing about Jesus' compassion for this man, and, 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 and we're filled with knowledge, but not action, it's worthless. Worthless. Jesus sees this man, stops and has compassion on him. <laughs> it's like Jesus doesn't even entertain their question. He just answers this. He says, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but the works of God should be revealed in him. End of. Done. Finished. Let's move on. And there's a couple of lessons of this. One is, obviously, sickness is not always a result of sin. Sickness is not always a result of sin. And we need to be, as I say, really careful of judging people and drawing conclusions that their condition is the result of some sin. Think about, think about Job. Think about Job in Scripture. This is what, this is, it's exactly the opposite, in fact. This is a paraphrase of that of the, the passage. One day when the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was the designated accuser, came along with them. God singled out Satan and said to him, what have you been up to? Satan answered God, going here and there, checking things out on earth. God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him. Honest, true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. Who wouldn't like that said about them? By God. Now, if you follow the story of Job through, you'll realize the cause of his troubles was the fact that he was a good guy. It wasn't sin that caused Job's trouble. God wanted to show him off to everyone else. Job's friends made the mistake of appointing blame to Job and, and or his family. That's where the phrase Job's comforters come from, comes from. And in the end, God ended up rebuking Job's friends for the way that they treated him, for, the, for, their, for their accusations and blame shifting and pointing. 
See, God's works aren't always obvious. They're not. They very rarely are obvious. Sometimes God chooses to reveal his, his, his hand and, and shows us what he's doing. Most of the time, he doesn't. And Jesus looks at this man not as an opportunity to appoint blame, but as an opportunity for God to work. Not as an opportunity to appoint blame, for, but as an opportunity for God to work. And often, most often, our suffering is that. We don't know how and we don't know why sometimes, but most often our suffering is not an opportunity for blame, but an opportunity for God to show up and God to work. It may well be healing. God does, we know, we we believe God does heal people today, supernaturally. We believe that. We regularly pray for people to be healed. There's no point praying for healing if you don't believe it and you don't believe that God can supernaturally heal. We believe that. But we do reject the notion that because we pray every single time God will heal, we know that to be true also. That's a misunderstanding of scriptures that if we if we just think that every time we pray, every time there will be a 100% success rate or whatever that looks like in healing, we know that not to be true and we know that is ultimately the will of God. Sometimes it's an opportunity, our suffering is an opportunity for healing. Sometimes it's an opportunity for endurance. Sometimes it's an opportunity for endurance. Sometimes God wants to reveal his work in us by how we endure suffering. Many of you will know uh, the story of Joni Erickson Tata, who was severely paralyzed from the neck down at, at an age of 17 through a diving accident. Joni came to know Jesus through all of this, uh, and, and God did not heal her. But God greatly works through her for his glory and for other people's good. This is what she said. Listen to this quote from someone who was paralyzed from the neck down. God uses suffering to purge sin from our lives, to strengthen our commitment to him, to force us to depend on grace bind us together with other believers, produce discernment, foster sensitivity, discipline our minds, spend our time wisely, stretch our hope, cause us to know Christ better and to make us long for truth. That is an amazing thing for someone to say who has been afflicted in the way that she has been afflicted paralyzed from the neck down. I really don't think, and God, when we, we know when things happen, God comes, and God comes alongside people, and God empowers people. But me standing here today, I do not think that would be my response. Let me read it to you again. God uses suffering. She's talking about her own suffering 
to purge sin from our lives, strengthen our commitment to Him, force us to depend on grace, bind us together with other believers, produce discernment, foster sensitivity, discipline our minds, spend our time wisely, stretch our hope, and cause us to know Christ better and make us long for truth. Wow. What a response to suffering. What a response. Suffering is most often, I would say, an opportunity for God to work. So first of all, we see Jesus' response to this man. Then we see that suffering is an opportunity for God to work. And then as we go through the text, uh, in verse 4 he says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And, and when Jesus says the night is coming, it's a, it's a, it's a reference to the cross. He knows that, that darkness is coming. There's going to be a time when he is not physically on the earth to work. And that's what that reference means. But it also means this. Work while you can. Jesus was very aware that his time on the earth was coming to an end. And he says, we must work while we can. There's a dark night coming. That was the cross for Jesus. But, but also we know as, as, as people, we know that our time is limited. We know that we have infinite time here on earth. And it's a call for us to work while we can. Do what we can when we can. The time is short. The time is short. I am a major, major uh, procrastinator. I will put things off as much as I can until I have to do them, right? I've spoken about the garden last, last couple of weeks. I mentioned the garden a few weeks ago. It has got worse. Literally has got worse. But I know I need to tidy it up, but I'm just putting it off. It's winter. It's almost winter, so I know I need to tidy it up, but, but winter's coming, so it can't be bothered. Right? And there's all things to do, like ride a bike. So that'll wait. So procrastinate, put it off, put it off, put it off. And we all, we all tend to do that. Some people are not. Some people are very organized. Some people get stuff done. They have a nice wee list and they go through their list and it's all well and good. But I am a major procrastinator, right? But we know what we've been called to do as disciples. We know how God wants us to use our time. What is it? making disciples. How many of us are procrastinating when it comes to making disciples? Putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, putting it off until, until I know more of the Bible. Putting it off until I'm in a, in, a, in a better spiritual place than I am now. We're just punting it down the field. Punting it down the field. Where do I think I am? Hey, guys. It's an American football reference, punting it down the field, like listening to too many Americans, really. Uh, but that's what we're doing. Jesus says, work while we can. And then he says in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This light theme again in John is a massive one. 
we're, we're in the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember the, the, the massive candle, big candle thing that they light in the temple to show everybody the light of God and how, how the, the pillar of fire guided the people. So we, we see this light theme come through again. Jesus saying he is the light of the world. When he spoke to the woman who was caught in adultery, he showed her light. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And we're going to see another picture of light with the healing of this blind man. This man has never seen the light from birth. Some of us just can't fathom. We, we can't fathom what that must be like. The culture of the day then was that this man would be put out into the street to beg for his food. He has never saw the light of day, literally. A truly blind person cannot see light. He has never seen the beauty of the sunrise. He has never seen the beauty of the morning light. And Jesus is about to change all of that. Jesus is about to change all of that. A person who is blind is someone who doesn't see, doesn't get it. You could describe the world around to a blind person all you want, but they just will not get it. It's impossible for them to understand. So it is with spiritual blindness. You can explain what it's like to be spirit, have spiritual sight all you want to some people and they just won't get it. We all know people who are spiritually blind. Jesus in verse 6 says, when it, or John says, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, he made clay with saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. Some cultures think that saliva has special properties. That's disgusting for me. Yeah, I'm rotten. But some cultures do, and and some people think that Jesus, in, in using his saliva, was was referencing that and 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 showing that. It's pretty gross. Some uh, have suggested that the mixing of the saliva with the earth is showing that, that God made man from the ground, from the dust. And this word, eprikio uh, in, in the Greek, anointed, literally means he spread clay on the eyes of the blind. And what would happen, just think for a moment, if someone's, someone spat on the ground and mixed a bit of clay and, and, and put it in your eyes, what would it do to your eyes? What would it do to your eyes? Literally, irritate them. I think. I've never had actually anybody do that, but I think it would irritate them. And so some people then suggest that this is a, a natural irritant to make the man go to the pool to wash the, the, saliva, or the, the dirt from his eyes. But if you read the New Testament, you will see this very clearly. Jesus almost never heals someone the same way twice. 
That's interesting. I find that really interesting. This time he decides to do this. This time he decides to, to spit in the ground and, and, and make up clay and, and rub it nice. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's, it's, it's just a touch. Sometimes someone just touches him. There, there's very rarely the same pattern twice. Jesus used many different ways to heal people. And it's the same today. It's the same today. Jesus uses many different ways to heal people of both spiritual and physical sickness. And so sometimes in prayer ministry, it'll be up to the people in prayer ministry to discern what what the Lord is saying at that particular time when it comes to healing or it comes to a word or it comes to any of these things. But also something I, I just... I found really interesting this week as as I studied this was the Jesus uses different ways to heal people, and it's the same with spiritual sickness, spiritual blindness. Look around the room. There's not two of you the same. Thankfully, we're all not like Michaela. That's a good thing. But Hada, sorry, uh, we're all different. We're all different. And I guarantee you, if I went around the room, everybody's coming to Jesus would be different. And he used different people in your lives, and he used different ways in your lives, and, and, and all of that. And, and, it's, and it's going to be the same for you. And some of you are sitting there thinking, and I know some of you are sitting there thinking, that, that God could never use me in the life of someone else to bring them to Jesus. And that's just wrong. It's just wrong. He uses all different types of ways, all different people to accomplish His purposes. And so if you're sitting there thinking, I couldn't, I can't, I, I, it's not me, no, stop. It is you. Just as the clay was in Jesus' hands, put yourself in His hands. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. He can use you in His hands to accomplish His purposes. Yes? He can, wherever you are. Wherever you are. Just as He uses this here, on the, the mud on this guy's eyes. And He said to him, verse 7, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which translated means sent. So He went and washed and came back saying, The, the main water source here in Jerusalem was outside the city at the Gihon Spring. It was King Hezekiah who diverted the water from the Gihon Spring uh, by cutting a tunnel through uh, 1,750 feet. This is all very interesting. 1,750 feet of solid rock bringing water into the city. And where the water came out was the Pool of Siloam. Jesus encountered this fellow just outside the temple. The pool of Siloam was about a third of a mile's walk from there. So this man was sent to the pool of Siloam, a third of a mile away, by Jesus. Can you imagine the walk that this blind man had to endure to go to the pool of Siloam, to wash his eyes, to receive 
his sight. I took a bit of faith. I took a bit of faith for Jesus to simply say, go there and wash. And he went and did it. A third of a mile away, a blind man who's been sitting here all his life. And he went. He just did as Jesus asked him to do. He went. And this is the response. He went, he washed, he received his sight. And this is the response. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. It's just, it's, it's actually comical. I'm, it's, it's just funny. I, no, it's me. It is me. Yep, definitely me. I was the one that sat there. I was blind. I now see. And they're all like, you're having a laugh, our fella. Can't be you. You look like him. Fair play. But it's not you. No, it's me. No, it's me. So they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. I like this lot. I really like this lot. And here's why I like him so much. We can learn a lot from him. He doesn't know much about what just happened. He doesn't claim to know much about what just happened. He doesn't go into some big theological discourse about what happened. He doesn't try to explain the, the reality of a situation before that and the sin that caused it or whatever, or the disease or whatever. He doesn't go into any of that. He just shares what he knows. And what he knows is this. Jesus, give me sight. That's it. That's it. Jesus, give me sight. Jesus, this, this, this man called Jesus put mud in my eyes and asked me to go to a pool and wash. And I saw. Sometimes we can fall into the trap when we're trying to share about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. We can make it a lot more complicated than it really is. And the longer we're Christians, the more complicated it becomes. Because then we enter into the world of Christianese, where we speak a different language from ordinary people. Well, you like to believe it or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are no longer an ordinary person because you speak a different language. And I would love it if we didn't. If we could just speak normal, it'd be great. But it gets more complicated. We speak in a language that people don't understand. Look at how simply this guy communicates what happened. Jesus gave me sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. So as I could, there's tangents to go down there even with that statement. Jesus just did what he did and got off sight. He didn't bring the man and parade him and be like, 
Look what I did. Look, look what I've just done. Everybody give me the glory because of what I've done. No, he didn't. He disappeared. He healed the man and he disappeared. We have a Savior who is so humble. He just gives blind people their sight and disappears off into the background. What would we do? What would we do? We would have a we we would probably have several gatherings around that one. And be like, everybody come and see what we did. No. Not Jesus. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Folks, just as we finish today, this man didn't know where Jesus was. We do. We do know. If you're sitting here and you're a follower of Christ, you do know. Our world is filled with people asking the question, where is Jesus? And we are the ones who know where he is. He is the life giver. He is the sight giver. And we have this awesome good news to go and share it with the world. We're not like this man. We do know where he is. We do know what he's done. We, we can share that. We can share the, the simplicity of what he's done in our lives with others. Uh, and that's the call. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Go into the world and make disciples and do it simply. I wish Jesus had to just put that wee bit on the end of it because we've overcomplicated it. We do know where he is and we can point others to him. I don't know who it was, but you know the quote where the man said he was just another blind man showing other beggars where food is. That's us. That's us. That's our call. Jesus doesn't concentrate on a the theological issue. He concentrates and focuses on the person in front of him. All of our suffering is an opportunity for God to work. We see Jesus brings the light to this man. And finally, we know where he is. And we can point others in his direction. So let's do that. Let's go from this place today, not with our theologically enlarged brains and our diseased hearts, but with a desire for compassion, a desire to love the lost and point them towards Jesus. And let's keep it simple. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, just for stories like this that clearly outline to us who Jesus is, the power that he has, the ability that he has to bring sight to the blind. 
And Father, I pray through the power and person of the Holy Spirit that you would help us to point people towards this Savior who loves them, who cares for them, who wants to save them, who wants to bring sight to their blind eyes. Father, thank you for this description of Jesus and it just shows us again his, his unbelievable compassion for humanity. This in itself was an act of recreation. And we thank you that it still happens today. You still heal. You're still sovereign. You're still in control. And you still love us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but it's for me sometimes when I when I read stories like this, it is genuinely hard to believe that this same Jesus would would die for me. That, that's that's where I am with it sometimes. I read stories like this and I see his compassion and I see the grace that he pours out on someone like this and I see his healing power and I see all of this. But then but I, then I think of myself and I think how what a sinful sinner I am really. And I think, how could this same Jesus go to the cross and die and give himself for me? But he did. But he did. And he did it for you. If you love Jesus, if you know Jesus, he did it for you too. So if you're in here today, you're a follower of Jesus by the grace of God, then I, I, I plead with you. As scripture tells us, look deep within yourself. Search yourself. Examine yourself. See where there is sin. Confess that sin. Repent of that sin. And then come to Jesus in faith through communion. Celebrating, remembering his body broken for you. Celebrating, remembering his blood that was shed for you. For the forgiveness of your sins and for the freedom that you enjoy. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I lovingly ask that you don't take communion. That just wouldn't make sense for you to do that. You'd be saying something that you don't believe in. So, so I lovingly ask that you refrain from communion with us today. Let's worship King Jesus together as we sing and as we have communion.